Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Jilly Barlow. Jilly, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Amy. It's wonderful to be here. Well, we've been talking about this for months and finally the day has come. So thank you very much. And in between that time, I feel that you've changed somewhat because now you are a published author. Yes, it's all a bit of a shock to the system, to be perfectly honest. It's been a whirlwind of events that have gone on. Uh, it's, it's been long time in coming, I tell you. I actually wrote the book four years ago. and Various things happened in my world that made me put it on the shelf. My father died, I got sick. Various things happened. And then when I decided it was the time to actually get it done, I did it myself. And that was a learning. <laughs> so I audioed it myself. I self-published it. Um, and I probably shouldn't have done that. So anybody listening, I wouldn't do that if I were you. But it's been a massive learning curve for me. And it's been very exciting all at the same time. Well, huge congratulations because it is, it's a fantastic. And just share with the audience, what's your book called? Uh, the book is called Understand Your Truth to Find Success. Well, it's very likely that that's going to be part of the title for this episode because it sounds like it's, there's a big message behind what you're sharing in the book. Absolutely. It, you know, actually, Amy, when I first set out to write, I knew I had something inside of me that needed to come out. Didn't really know what and believed it would all be about property because I have a real passion for property, but a real passion for people. And it was a real shock, actually. Property gets mentioned once in the book, but it is all about helping people to understand who they are and how they can get to a place that's good enough for them so that they can then be successful and what that actually looks like. And yeah, it's a, it's a powerful book, I believe. And if people do what I suggest in the book, I believe everybody, or if they have the right mindset, and it is all about helping them to find that right mi mindset as well, then they have every ability and uh, to, to, to succeed. And that of course, depends on what they see success to be. And thinking in your own perspective, has it been an easy place for you to find? Um, for me, it's been a learning over a number of years, but I have to say that it was cemented in the writing of the book. So I taught myself so much as it flowed out of me. Maybe I knew it, but it, because I'd learned it, and that's why I was speaking it out, but it was realizations once again, and things maybe I'd, I'd forgotten. And it's all about words spoken to you growing up. It's all about how people have made you feel, good or bad. It's all the subconscious words that are in the back of your head that stop you from getting where you could get to. And I think that I had to remind myself, it reminded me of an awful lot that I needed to look at again in myself. So it was massively powerful. And even now, Amy, when I read it, and I've had to read it a lot, having, having audioed it, really I've had to read it a lot. Every time I've read it, it's reminded me of something else. It's just one of those types of books where you, it's like watching a film. If you watch it twice, you see something different or you learn something different or you remember something different. Well, I've read this book quite a few times and I've found that 
there's never a time where I don't go, hmm, Julie, just self-check here. So it's, it's, it's been good, really good. So it's been cathartic, but it's also been a, a way for you to see things from different perspectives and help others to see life from different perspectives. Where did your journey start? Well, I was born into a family of four girls. I was, uh, I'm an identical twin, so number three and four popped out, both being girls, much to the dismay of my poor father. And uh, born into uh, a how a, a beautiful. I was brought up in a beautiful farmhouse. Massively, um, it was a, it was a, it was difficult in many ways, but it was a blessing in many other ways. And I'm sure many people have had uh, upbringings a little bit like that. But I was pretty hopeless at everything. That's what I felt. Sarah and I at school uh, weren't academic, and added to that the teachers didn't like the fact that they couldn't tell us apart. We were very, very identical. And uh, I think that an element of pride set in there. And by the time you get to a certain age, we we had to leave uh, the private school we were at. Uh, and we ended up in a compre- the comprehensive system where we started to milk it. And um, we weren't going to come out with very much. So we may as well have a bit of fun en route and we came out of school with very little. I came out of school with music O level. I deemed myself to be hopeless, but also had an incredible inbuilt self-belief. Um, so although I wasn't good at anything, you know, I dreamt of being a protege in something. And I used to envy people who were protégés and were admired and respected and looked upon as being brilliant in some way, shape or form. That wasn't me. And uh, But I still believed that it was going to be okay. I had this inbuilt, because I loved life and I loved people. Anyway, many, I say many years later, a few years later, I set up a a company, as you do when you don't know what to do, which was really just doing a bit of everything. So I did secretarial work, although I wasn't a trained secretary. I did um, house sitting, and uh, one particular house, massive house, had a pet pig, and I remember trying to chase this pig around. And I did, I did all sorts of things. We we used to look after the disabled the horses for the Abingdon Riding Disabled Group. So we'd get up, Sarah and I, at five thirty in the morning, and go and try and defrost troughs to get to allow the, the horses to drink. We used to clean all the saddles and what have you. And back in those days, we earned forty five pounds a week for doing that that we shared. So it wasn't a lot of money. Anyway, some years later, my father semi-retired. He had been uh, brought up in Kenya and had been district officer and commissioner out there. And he'd met my mother, who who also was brought up in Kenya. Her parents lived on a farm, but my my grandfather was also district officer and commissioner. So mum and dad met out there. When he semi-retired, he took all of us out there. And while we were out there, the four daughters... I went overland on an overland trip to a place called Turkana, where my grandfather was also um, district uh, officer out there. So it was lovely to learn a little bit about the area that he he worked in. And while we were out there, the gentleman running that safari company was running it, working for his father. But he also had a company in Botswana running safaris in the opposite season. And his cook had uh, rolled the vehicle and run away. So he's asking everybody if they wanted to go out to Africa in the the April season. And cutting a long story short, I came back to the UK and age 21, I flew out to the Kalahari Desert uh, where I lived. uh, And I believe I was molded into part of the person I am today. I learned, you know, I 
I massively stretched myself out of my comfort zone. Uh, one of the people I admire the most um, was a, a lady called Jackie Pullinger, who at the age of 22, when I was born, it was the year I was born, actually, she headed off to Hong Kong to help with the triad gangs and the drug addicts in the back streets. And this was in 1966. And I remember reading her book thinking, wow, I would love to aspire to have the confidence and the get up and go and the tenacity to not listen to people say, no, you can't, but just get up and do it. And I really believe that if she could do that back in 1966, all on her own, getting a one-way ticket on a boat because she couldn't afford a return, I most certainly could fly out to the Kalahari Desert, age 21. So I went over there, and while I was out there, I had a dream. And the dream was about a mountain house and disabled children. So that's a little bit of where my journey began. And this is somebody, this is you, you had one O-level, you had an entrepreneurial spirit, absolutely, setting up your business, doing all of these different things. But then to take yourself off with without any other care or, or understanding about what was going to happen, what happened when you arrived in the Kalahari Desert? Well, when I arrived, actually, I knew that I was now 5,000 miles away from anybody I knew. I knew I couldn't do anything but have a stiff upper lip, put my head up and take in everything. It doesn't mean it wasn't scary, but actually before I went was the tougher time because I was, I was hoping that people would just say, no, no, don't worry about going, that I could not go and that soon everybody would forget about it because that's how scared I was. But um, obviously I went. And I remember the very first day I arrived, I got picked up at Lanseria Airport in a four-seater Cessna where I by Adam and we flew over well we flew for a couple of hours and we flew over the Kalahari Desert where I was about to live dry arid although some green areas near the Okafanga Delta and I had to keep pinching myself I couldn't talk to Adam in the way that because we'd become friends when we traveled across to Turkana because he also had a client which was going to be on my first safari in the airplane with us so um it was interesting, the very first night I arrived there, I remember going in to have a shower and the showers were mud and wattle floors with drains dipped down and then wooden planks across the, the, the drain so you could stand on it. I bucket up a tree with a hose and there was an old oil, uh, an old oil sort of um, container sitting on a little tiny fire where the water was heated up. So you get your bucket you'd pick up the warm water, you'd stick it back um, on the hook, and there was a rose, a shower rose and everything. And I had my shower, and the walls were made of just cane, so you didn't have a door. It sort of went like this, so that people actually had to go two corners before they could see in, um, so people knew when someone was in there. They weren't going to go around one corner and go, oh, sorry. So you felt quite secure in there. Anyway, I had my shower, and um, I went out to greet everyone. And this chap called Carl approached and he said, Jilly, did you see the um, the little slug in the in the shower? And I went, no, I didn't see a slug. He said, come see. Underneath the planks, this is my very, very first day, underneath the planks that my, my feet had been cushioning, a cobra that was wrapped around because they loved the wet. And my feet had been cushioning it because between the planks was the cobra and the, the, the body of the cobra. And I just literally bit my tongue and walked out. Never said a word. 
never said a word. But that was the beginning. So I believe that, I mean, obviously, when that happens on your first night, you think there's going to be snakes every day. I actually only saw three snakes in the whole time that I was there. It just happened to be my first night. So I was very excited, very daunted, uh, hoped that I would be able to be all that I needed to be to fill this job role. Um, but one thing I had on my side was my faith. And also that I get on well with people. So I was able to get on with the people there very quickly uh, and, and sort of settle in quite well. I, I didn't have a hut to live in, in Labora, where we lived, um, where our home was when we went on safari. I had a tent. There was a, a sort of a hut with a, a, a lip over it. And that's where we had our meals. And then it was mud and wattle. And I remember I used to sit on a chair out there and type with one of the old typewriters home because there were no phones no phones, no communication, no mobiles. This was 1987. So where was where did you get the strength and the resilience to, to do all of this? Because you've been separated from your twin probably for the first time. I, I, I don't she know. She was in America, so she'd okay. already gone. Right, so okay. That wasn't so hard. And then, but just to sort of, just not even be phased by the fact that you were standing on top of a cobra. Oh, believe you me, I was phased. Amy, I was very phased. That's why I bit my tongue and walked out. But it was, um, to me, I love stories. And even back then at that age, a story was evolving from the very first day. This was going to be something I tell my children and my grandchildren. And I was alive and I felt a new sense of life in me because I was out in the middle of nowhere where there were animals and I'd seen my first a little episode of a wild animal uh, and uh, you know I was just really excited and all flabbergasted all at the same time. So that was 1987 we're now 2021 what what happened in between how have you been fulfilling your your why in life? So I got back from Africa and um, I wanted to go back straight away but there was something in me that thought because I wanted to go back, I shouldn't go back or it wasn't right that I went back. And it took me four years to realise that's not how life works. And so I didn't go back. How my life would have been if I had is irrelevant, really, because sliding doors, this is where I'm at. And I've been so blessed, Amy, because I've just found such fulfilment in what I've done. I um, got home. I started going for interviews. I ended up uh, working in a fish farm, gutting fish. And although it sounds like a, a diabolical job, it was very close to my home. I was on a fish farm and it was sort of a lovely place to be. And um, I was sort of more of a uh, an assistant to do whatever, but I would often find that that meant going into the shop, putting your fingers in, gutting the fish. And I was earning about £8,000 and it was okay. But I started looking for other jobs where I, I ended up working for a company called Numerical Algorithms Group. Couldn't spell it, didn't know what it meant really, got in by my mouth. Uh, my mouth has done me um, great favours over the years. But be be before I got that, I went to 36 interviews one summer. So it wasn't easy, you know, and I had to keep going and keep going. And I remember saying to myself, and to God, actually, the next job I get offered, I'll go for. And it was 
working as a double uh, as a double glazing salesperson. No, no, it wasn't. It was it was working for the pharmaceutical in- industry as a salesperson. And the people said to me after they'd offered it, "You do realise that every other word will be a word." that isn't pleasant. And they gave me a word, which I won't repeat. And I just went, yes, that's okay. Thinking this isn't going to be okay. And within, I, I hadn't signed anything, having accepted the offer. Cause I said I would to myself, I then got headhunted for numerical algorithms group, which was ridiculous really. Um, anyway, I went in as an assistant marketing uh, manager and I stayed there for a short period of time um, wasn't wasn't too keen on the ethos, but very quickly got headhunted for a company called Risk Decisions in Park End Street, which is actually where I am now, not at Risk Decisions, but in one of my guest houses. And I was, it was funny, I, I stayed there for um, my probation, struggled immensely because everybody there were boffins, wandering around, arriving on motorbikes and leathers, and then wandering around with holes in their socks, speaking a language I, I didn't understand. They sort of spoke algorithms they spoke in a way that literally meant nothing to me and three months went on and the owner Art Noble came to me and he said Jilly I think we need to have a chat and we went over to the station because there was nowhere to sit and he said I don't think this is working and I said you're absolutely right it's not I said I cannot tolerate your language anymore and the fact that you don't give anything to me to help me learn and he said well thanks so much for being I said what do you want me to do with the sales I've, I've made he said what sales I said, you, you hit me a target. It might have been jolly hard, but I hit it. Well, well, you hit the target. I said, yeah, it wasn't a big target, but I've hit it. What do you want me to do with them? And over the next 10 minutes, he asked me to stay. They made me marketing manager straight away. And within six months, I was sales and marketing director. And they changed their ways a bit as well. Um, several years later, and it was brilliant, Amy, because I learned in layman's terms what risk analysis was, which, of course, has served me enormously in property and in business. So now I really help people to understand that risk analysis doesn't have to be hard. But if we do it for every process of our journey within something like property, then we have a great chance of not fouling up or making big mistakes. So... Several years later, I got made redundant. They employed a marketing director who had, sorry, a managing director who had marketing skills and they had to chop me away. But at that stage, I'd already, um, my life had evolved on the other side of the jilly and the dream I'd had in Africa had meant that two years after I got back from Africa, I had acquired a chalet in the mountains that sleeps 12 to 14 uh, with no money because I had no money. I was obviously earning £8,000 at the point that that started help happening. Um, by the time I bought it, I was now I was earning uh, the 12000 that I earned from Numerical Algorithms Group. By the time I reached Risk Decisions, it was it was flowing. It was I was now 1990. I bought the chalet. The second phase of the chalet was the other part of the dream, which was to get a, a disabled children out there. So 1991, I took my first group of disabled children out there. That was registered officially in 1994 as a charity called SADA, which stands for Sophia's Alpine Disabled Adventures. Sophia is the name of the chalet. When I first got the chalet, I wanted to call it Christina after my mother's mother, my grandmother. But there were too many Christianas and Christinas and they wouldn't let me. So I thought, well, my favourite girl's name in the whole wide world is Sophie. 
but Shali Sophie sounded a little bit flat, so I called it Shali Sophia. Yeah. And that was magical for me because later I discovered it meant wisdom of God, which was literally a cherry on the top. So SADA stands for Sophia's Alpine Disabled Adventures, and that was established officially as a charity. I've been taking the children out for four years, but officially as a charity in 1994. And we were very blessed in 1996 to win the Childline Award for Great Britain. So my, my life took a slight change in, in course only because I ended up on chat shows on television and in magazines. Obviously, I, I met Esther Ranson and the um, uh, managing director of British Telecom, who is big, the big sponsor of Childline. It was an incredible time because I got the disabled children involved in everything. So when I went to the television studios, I always took one or more if I was allowed. When I went for the ceremony, the, 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 the dinner with Esther Ranson and everybody, I took three, I think, disabled children who sat there with their chins on the floor as they shared a table with the cast from Grange Hill. So, um, and all these are memories that I've had the privilege of, of being able to acquire and, and, and look back on. So it was an amazing time. So I was now running the, the, the chalet as um, in the summer months for disabled children. I was now working for risk decisions. But when I got made redundant, I obviously had the ski chalet. I then set it up for, um, initially it was a, a catered chalet in the winter. So it's now becoming a, a, um, a place that I was creating another business in the winter. And um, initially the ski company, a ski company had it for five years. I then took it off their hands. That was to enable me to get the mortgage at the point that I bought the chalet. And then I took it over myself. And after two years of doing catered, not me personally, employing people, I realised that was literally a disaster because you're relying on other people. And I just self-catered it. And today, uh, this many years later, 30 years later or something, it still runs as a self-catered chalet in the French Alps. Wow. So you understood your truth to find your success. You understood, you recognised how to translate a dream and make it reality. What are the messages that you pass on to people from your experiences? Okay, so when I was uh, trying to work out how to acquire the chalet, that's a story in itself. I remember saying this, and if this is all people take from this, this interview, please do. And I said to myself, I'm going to do it. The question is how. Now, whilst I sat in a cafe in the Clusa, whilst I'd gone skiing without the chalet yet, with my Filofax, people came in, all of them loved me. What are you doing? You can't afford the door of a car. What are you doing? Had I listened to those people, even though they loved me, I wouldn't have done it. I said, I'm going to do it, the question is how? And I devised ways of acquiring property with no money at the age of 21, 22, because I was determined to. Now those, those strategies that obviously I didn't, create but in my mind I devised weren't being taught in 1987 anything to do with property was literally become an estate agent there was nothing else out there so I devised for myself how to do a purchase lease option or how to do a joint venture but to not have to have any money myself it was my way of going I'm going to do it which I said the question is how so it's working out the how not 
not allowing yourself to be debilitated or or have your dreams quashed or squashed or to have people say things to you that makes you feel you're just mad and there's no way you're going to acquire it or do it or aspire to do it or be it you know it's it's that is that is what I had in me. I'm going to do it. The question is how. And then the working out of the how. So I urge people to be that, to do that, to not, you know, obviously we need, there was something that I had then that was brilliant, but we don't want people to have now. And that was a naivety and an ignorant, an ignorant, an ignorance, I can't say it now, that said to me, if you get repossessed, you'd have had a jolly good time up until the time you do. Because the only thing I had to, had no responsibilities. The only thing I knew that could happen was if I couldn't pay the mortgage, I'd be repossessed. But I didn't understand repossession. And my ignorance was bliss. Because I actually believed that the disabled children and everybody else that went there would be blessed. And if it got taken away, because I couldn't afford it, so be it. But obviously that's not quite right. But for me back then, it was bliss. And I was determined to see the dream come to fruition. I was determined to show these disabled, beautiful children that irrespective of their disability, they were gifts and that they were precious. And actually, the world was their oyster. If they could get to France, they could get anywhere in the world. And I've seen many of those disabled children, one girl specifically, she's got four degrees, sorry, seven degrees. She's a lawyer in the city. And it's all about teaching people that they are a gift to the world. They are absolutely amazing, but it's up to them to be the best version of themselves that they can. And often that's about getting out of your own way, but it's often about not listening to the negativity or stuff that gets said to you. It's learning to listen. It's learning to know who to listen to and what to listen to. And for some reason back then, as a young adult, barely more than a child, that there was this built-in, I'm going to do it, and no one's going to stop me. Between then and now, Jilly crumbled a lot. I had to get back to that place of realising my worth. I had to get back to that place of realising nobody's going to tell me I can't, only me. Now, a bank manager might say no to a, 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 a mortgage, but there'll be another way of doing it. And during the time between the chalet and now, I've had many moments of turmoil. We all have ups and downs. You know, I've had, a, you know, a wonderful uh, marriage for many years, but then a marriage that fell apart. And that's two people's lives that gets get disrupted and children's, you know. we Many people go through this and we have to pick ourselves up and remember that we're responsible mainly for ourselves. We're responsible for our own lives and how we take things, how we react to things, how we empower ourselves or not is up to us. And I think that I had to learn, you have to relearn it. It's like your values, they change as things go on in your life. And many things happened. I got sick, I had cancer. You know, these things, you don't expect them to come around and, and, and hit you. But they do. And when I, when I got sick, 
People said, why you? And my attitude was, why not? It's about coming out of it. There's no time for having pity parties, although we do always at times. It's about saying, right, we've got one shot at this. We're either going to be affected by what other people say, if it's negative, and allow them to change the direction of our lives and the success that we could have or not, or we choose to listen to the people that are positive and pick us up when we fall and brush us off and say, off you go, rather than say, saying, I told you so. It's about who we surround ourselves with. And it's so important to surround ourselves with people that do us good and not harm. And often that's really difficult because we get trapped in thinking we need people that we don't, thinking that we can't do things without people. But what happens if that's what happens inside our heads, we are just a puppet on a string. We don't need people. We want people. And it's a very, very different place to be. We want to get to a place within ourselves where we are okay on our own. We can conquer because of our own inner strengths. It doesn't mean that we don't want people and we don't love to have people. But when we start needing them desperately, we become a puppet on a string because we'll, our emotions and our feelings will go like yo-yos up and down as they say, well done, or that was rubbish, or she's brilliant, you're hopeless. And it all spirals because we're listening too much to potential negativity. But it's been an incredible journey and a big blessing. And what I'm hearing, Jilly, is that you focused on the what, you then focused on the how and the who. Where was the why? The why for me is always the people. It's always the people. I, ha I, I wonder sometimes why so much love was put inside me. And of course, we've all got the same love. But I have a capacity that needs to be, you know, I just want to love people. I want to help people. I want to, when I did when I did the charity for disabled children, I wanted these children to realise their beauty. And then many years later, I went into prisons and I could go into any prison in Great Britain. I only actually went into male prisons uh, for seven years. And I realised whilst I, having been into prisons for four years, I realised that what I was trying to help the, the prisoners with was exactly what I was trying to help the disabled children with. It was trying to help them realise their, their worth help them realize that they've been put on this planet for a purpose and that the very 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 exciting thing is that there will never ever be another one of them i can say that as an identical twin there'll never be another jilly even though i have a twin called sarah identical twin same same egg there will never be another one of them so it's their decision you see because in a world of seven billion people, how easy is it to feel insignificant? But the choice is theirs, to feel insignificant or to realize that their worth is so great in that they'll only ever be, past, present and future, one of them. So it's their decision to stand up and say, I'm gonna make the best, best version of me that I can. I'm not gonna let my past dictate my future. I'm not going to allow what I've done to mess up where I can be. I may have started badly, but I have a choice to finish well. And it's everybody's individual um, 
decision to do that. And my purpose, my drive, my passion is to help people realize they can do it. And that's what I love now, because when I teach, I teach first and foremost to help them realize their worth, to realize that irrespective of what's been said over them and to them, irrespective of whether they feel they've failed in the past, today's the beginning of the rest of their lives. And how they see themselves moving forward is all that matters. Because if they want to conquer, if they want to have victory, whatever that means to them, and if they want to succeed, again, whatever success means to them, they have the right to do all of that. But it's up to them. And that's my passion to help them see that. And then help them on the journey to get there, if they so wish. So who are you helping at the moment, Jilly? Well, I have various programs. Um, one of the programs that is um, it, it's, it's basically in its infancy and it hasn't been launched yet is a program I set up for young adults called YAPS, Young Adult Property Success. And this passion has come out of me because I have three boys who are now aged 17 to 23. I have two beautiful girls that um, live with me as well um, called Natalie and Pats, and they are both aged 22, I think, <laughs> 22. So they're all aged 17 to 23. And about six years ago, I started giving lessons in my house between five and six on a Wednesday, completely free for any young adult aged 16 or, in actual fact, I was teaching a young girl of 13 because she wanted to be taught, anybody that wanted to learn. So they'd come to my house and I watched, when I say their lives changed, I watched their confidences grow. I watched, I watched them realize they could do things. I watched them create portfolios with nothing. And my, my youngest son obviously was nine at the time. My middle boy was 16. No, he wasn't. He was 14. My oldest boy was 16. My oldest boy then went to university. But my middle boy, two years later, uh, a drummer, had just finished college in Oxford doing music. And um, he was working during college uh, at Marks and Spencer's and he was listening to what I said. And he started a portfolio. He got his first HMO, 13-bed HMO, uh, when he was 17 uh, for one pound. Um, he still has it today. He, he's got the option for 840,000. It's already worth 1.25 million. So we'll see where that goes. He's now got a big portfolio and obviously um, is in a very good place. He's just um, built a very large recording studio in our garden. But my joy was to see things evolve, confidences grow. You know, my, my hope now is to help young uh, adults who've come out of Borstal and places like that to get have massive purpose in their lives. Obviously, I've helped um, a number of um, ex-prisoners uh, and um, it's been a joy to see their lives turn around. But I also have a heart for women because I think that it was very interesting. Wow. I was listening to a, um, an interview the other day about equality and I'm not like, I'm not like um, really, really 
you know, worried about it all. I, I will help everybody and anybody. But I do want women to see their worth. I really want them to value who they are. I really want them to understand that they do not list, need to listen to people telling them that they're not worthy if they are listening to that on a daily basis. They need to shut their ears off to it. They need to believe in who they are. So women is another area where I really want to help people. But it's everybody, to be honest. So whether they come from a place that's very hard or whether they're millionaires, I remember one day I offered a cottage of mine to some friends of mine who were very, very wealthy. And they said, what will it be? What will it cost? And I said, absolutely nothing. A year later, they said to me, you have no idea how much you blessed us because never are we offered anything for nothing because people know our worth. And I turned around to the Mamie and I said, your worth is nothing to do with me. Nothing. How much money you have or how much money you don't have is not my business. I chose to bless you. And that's what I want to do in my world, in my journey of property, in my teaching. I want to bless everybody in the way that I teach, in the way that I help them and help to affirm them and edify them. This is what I want to do. It's part of my purpose to edify people and help them to see the gift they are. So it's all numbers of people I'm helping in different sort of spheres and different areas. And I love every single, um, every part of my world, even all the young adults living in my house. It's about training them to believe in who they are and to give back what they've learned. So Josh over COVID, you know, when he's been allowed to have six people in the garden, has his flip chart out and he's teaching his friends. Well, it's just amazing to see. And do you think that if you'd had an education where you hadn't been deemed as hopeless, that you would be so passionate about teaching today? I do. I think it would. I, Without doubt, I believe that I would have come full circle. I wanted to be a reflexologist, not a reflexologist. I wanted to be a, um, oh, it's a, a, a person who helps disabled children, specifically autistic children with music, um, a music therapist. But in those days... To be a music therapist, you needed three A's at A level. <laughs> Julie couldn't get an A in, 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 G, in O levels. And it seemed crazy because I'd been brought up around disabled children and I was passionate about music and had got managed somehow to get my grade eight cello at the age of 16. Um, and so it seemed crazy that that's how it all worked because the very, very, very bright. And back then it was so hard to get three A's at A level. They were so bright, often they couldn't communicate. So it all seemed very bizarre. But had I been that, I do believe I would come full circle because the heart of the person, you know, when I was in Thailand in 1989, 1995, no, 1993, my Brother and sister-in-law uh, were running services because they were missionaries. And I remember they were speaking in fluent Thai. I was sitting on the floor in the shack. And all I wanted to do, Amy, was get up and speak. 1993, what would Julie have spoken about? But it sowed a seed in me. And I think seeds get sown in us. And it's, it, it's all about stretching yourself out of your comfort zone. But understanding there's a very big difference between stretching yourself out of your comfort zone and pushing water uphill. And I knew, I knew I wanted to speak many years ago. So going into prison, then showed me the passion I had in speaking and teaching, albeit behind walls. And that I grew more and more and more passionate about it, but I had to step out of my comfort zone in order to realise that. So I do believe it would have come full circle. And you, you, you said earlier that you've got so much love within you and that you are 
helping as many people as you can understanding your I guess your love language and and understanding how you can help others in your work what difference does it make to those individuals who are receiving it well I'm very blessed I think in in that for those of you that don't know what love languages are it's brilliant if you if you're in a relationship if you're in a business world Everybody do it. And people don't understand the power of it in business as well. So love languages are five different um, areas. So you've got touch, you've got give, um, gifts, you've got words of affirmation, you've got um, time and you've got acts of service. And my top love language is words. So for me, words used to crush me. I had to learn until I understood love languages. I had to learn to put like a breastplate of protection on me almost because I needed the arrows of pain to bounce off me, but of course they didn't. Um, so where you get, where, where I'm very good at building people up, I also can get crushed. Of course, it's not so easy to crush me these days because I understand who I am and I understand how to protect myself, but I also understand that those that might throw unpleasant words at me don't understand because their top love language isn't words because what we generally give out Amy is what we are so my second love language is time so I give time to people I have a nine-day week I've created a nine-day week I've been given a nine-day week because I will always try to find time for everybody because one of my top love languages is time so I'll naturally do that but it doesn't mean that the person receiving that wants that so I've also learned the best thing to do is find out what their love language is, because I could give all the time in the world. But if their top love language is gifts, they don't feel cared for. And it's very similar in the workplace. So for me in the workplace, I want to know what those people's love languages are, because if it is time and I go, look, I'd really appreciate an hour of time on a Thursday before work closes. Would that be OK? They'll be going, oh, my word, she wants time with me. And so it really matters how you know I believe that your dynamics are your skill sets I believe your values are what's important to you and I believe your languages are how you feel cared for and those three things are monumental in business and at home and in our lives our personal lives and if we can get those things right I think you know, I've had people come to me in business and go, Julie, I don't know what to do. And I go, what's the problem? Well, I'm JVing with my best friend and we don't talk anymore. And then we, un we, we, we unravel what's going on. And we realise they thought they knew their dynamic and that they complemented each other's skill sets. But they didn't quite get their values. And they also had no idea how each of the other needed caring for within the business relationship. And so... She was able to unravel that and sort it out. They both did their languages. They both did their values. They redid their dynamics. And they were able to put back together a very hurt relationship and make it good again. So when I talk to other people, I don't think when I'm in a room, when I've got a room of people. So I just started a year-long program just this weekend, actually. And um, when I'm in that room with them, I don't think what's all their languages. I just be myself. And for me, it's very natural to, to always have them at the forefront of my mind. I'm not sitting there thinking, this is making money. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to help them 
in every way that I can get to where they need to get to, get to that dream, get to that goal, get to that monetary value, get to that place of feeling freedom within themselves because of contentment by giving my skill sets in the way that I think will work. They did things, they were asked to do things in that day that they've probably never been asked to do before. But they will come back and the, the second month they will be on a platform and a diving board if they let me help them in those areas that they would never have been on otherwise. They will have clarity. And clarity is so important because the opposite of that is confusion. And too many people get confused not only about what they're doing, due diligence, great one in property, people are so confused, what does that actually mean? And also clarity of who they are and what their goal means and their why, just like you're asking me. My why is to help all these people to be in a place where they have every chance to get what they desire. Wow. Well, understanding your love language has been key for me as well and for my family to understand what theirs are because it, it was really interesting when I worked through that with them all and mine is acts of service hence the importance behind me putting out a podcast and helping all the other people it makes sense and also next along there is is words of affirmation and but for my family for my partner and my children they were all quality time so obviously me spending a huge amount of time doing this which is what I was supposed to do but being away from them I had to address that balance so it's really interesting to understand and also that they didn't actually value receiving gifts so whereas you know you could put a lot of emphasis on on giving gifts and then when they're not received as well you you you're hurt but you realize actually if you understand that's not what they want what they really want is just to spend some time with you then you can reshift your focus so as you say it's a great great thing to share there along with the dynamics and the values Jilly you are incredible and it's just been so wonderful to hear your journey and I feel as though we've touched on a few stories. You said you love stories, and I feel that you know there have been so many more that we could have gone <laughs> pursued today. And, and also, I'm sure there are many more to come. We haven't talked about the various elements of of, of what you've shared in in much detail, but I know that people will want to come and speak to you and ask you some more questions. So how would they get in contact with you? Okay, so I've got um, my own um, website, which is just jillybarlow.com. Uh, I'm on, YouTube, I have a YouTube channel, which is Jilly Barlow. You can find me on everything, and it's Jilly Barlow Property. So I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm not on Twitter at the moment, uh, but yes, YouTube and um, my website. I think I've covered all of them. But yes, it's Jilly Barlow Property or Jilly Barlow. Very easy to find. Well, Thank you so much. I'll make sure all of those go into the show notes. Do you have some final words for the audience, please, Jilly? Yes, I think that what I'd like to say is wherever you are today, wherever you've come from, remember that today is the beginning of the rest of your life. So your attitude will give you either a high altitude or not. And I'm learning to fly at the moment. It's been a passion of mine, a dream of mine. And it's very similar language. You know, we want to look up. We don't want to look down. We want to soar like eagles, not peck in the ground like chickens. And you've got to start with yourself. You've got to start with who you feel you are, what you think of yourself, not what other people think of you. 
Because I honestly promise you that if you get to a place of loving yourself and believing in yourself, which doesn't take monumental amounts of years or months, it really can be done quickly if you're speaking to the right people. You have every ability and you have the right to succeed, whether that's in property, or whether it's in some other avenue. You have the right to succeed and the only person that can determine you don't is you. So I want you to believe in who you are. I want you to go out there and conquer. And if you can go out there and say, I'm going to do it, the question is how. Just find people, put people around you that do you good and not harm, that maybe can help you work out what the how is. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.